If you'll remain standing at this time, and if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We've got four verses this morning that we're going to really lean into together as a, as a family. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And uh, if you do not have a Bible this morning, that's okay. Uh, we'll have the words up on the screen for you. Uh, but I think these four verses, for the most part, really sum up the entire message of both First and Second Peter, which we'll be looking at this morning. So First Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. May God bless this word. You may be seated at this time. So we've been in a series for this entire spring season called Reclaim the Wonder. And the reason why we've been in this series is because here at White Oak we have this conviction uh, that the Bible is amazing. And I think one of the problems is we look at the Bible and we, we see it and we, we open it and we just kind of feel like it's just a kind of a moral code and that's kind of the way that we, we kind of view it, right? And so once we think we know just about what it wants us to do and live our life, we just kind of put it on the shelf and we don't open it again because we don't really think it's living and active. It's just kind of some stuff that we're supposed to be doing. But here at Wide Oak, we believe that the Bible is a life-changing and amazing revelation of God that should cause us to live in wonder. I think so often we... Um, we accept too little from God in our personal relationship with him. And we settle for an unhappy life. We settle for a life with, with little to no purpose. We settle for just thinking that God just kind of has some moral guidelines we have to abide by until we die, and then he's going to kind of save us in the end. Like we, 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 we make the Christian life kind of so much less than it's supposed to be. And yet what I want for every one of you is every morning when you wake up to be like, I can't believe I get to live this life. I want every time you open the Bible to tremble because you're so amazed that this is real, that God is real, that he is there, that he loves you, and that the message that God came to bring to us was not bad news, wasn't mediocre news, but was good news. We believe a good confession. We believe life is good, and we believe what we do with it actually matters. And so from Genesis to Revelation, this book should be blowing your mind with a reality that is far better than the monotonous reality that we often settle for in our lives. If you watch the news, there's a narrative that says that the world is really, really, really messed up. Amen? That's the narrative. If you watch like HBO TV series uh, or, or all those things, there's a narrative that says all life is about is pursuing certain kinds of pleasure. And that's really what we're trying to do in this life. But the Bible says that God loves us and wants to have a relationship with us, that, that all things one day will be made new. And so in that framework, we approach 1 Peter this morning, and this book is dripping with wonder. 
And I think if you were to sum up the entire message of First and Second Peter, it would simply be this. As, as a guy named Peter, who was a leader in the church, is writing to new believers, and they're facing persecution, they're like, man, are we really going to go through with this Christianity thing? Are we going to back off? It's, it's getting difficult. Our world doesn't really respect it very much. What are we going to do? Peter's word to them in that context is to be holy. And this is a perfect message for Mother's Day. Because isn't the whole message of motherhood, be holy, do the right thing? Isn't that what your mom always says? Do the right thing even when nobody's looking? That's a crazy reality that you learn when you're a kid. Wait, you mean I have to be honest, even when nobody's looking around to think less of me? It's like, yes, you have to share, you have to love people, you have to be nice to people, you have to do good at school. The message of every mother is do good in all situations and don't screw up your life. That's the message of motherhood. I mean, where would we be without our mothers? Probably all of us in prison, right? I mean, with no moral compass, with no guide, we'd be doing, you know, 10 to 15 in the penitentiary. That's what we'd be doing. And, and the message of 1 Peter is, is, is pretty clear, and it's, it's pretty radical, and yet it's something I think most of us are, are pretty bad at in this life. I think the message of 1 Peter is be holy, but I think another way that you could phrase this is don't let the outer storms disrupt your inner pursuit. Don't let the outer storms of this life disrupt your inner pursuit. And I hope this morning to really explain what that means. But let's begin with going to look at our text one more time. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Uh, we're going to be all throughout 1 Peter this morning. He writes to this church, and he, before he writes this, he basically says, hey, look, you guys have been born again to a living hope. He says he's writing to a group of pagan new Christians, so meaning they were not Jewish people, they were not familiar with religion, they didn't understand the, the, the Ten Commandments and the law. These were very secular, pagan people, and yet someone came and proclaimed the gospel to them, Christ crucified and Christ risen, and they believed the good news, they believed the message that they were forgiven in Christ and made right with God simply through trusting in Jesus. They believed that message, but then they went back to their regular life and their Greco-Roman world that they were living in, and they realized, wow, people aren't really thrilled about Jesus the way that we are. And wow, when I try to start giving up all my lustful passions, people mock me and people think I'm weird, right? They're not sure how this works. And so Peter writes to them. He's like, look, you've experienced something. You're a part of something. God's done a work in your life. And so in verse 13, he says, therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. But I think we have to define what holy is and what holiness is, because I think this is one of the most misunderstood Christian terms in our world today. Because the only time anybody ever uses the word holy nowadays is like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? It's kind of a negative thing, right? Oh, you're such a holy person. You're so much better than I am. We think holy is someone who's just really good and better than people. We think of, honestly, arrogance when we think of holiness. 
But what, what Peter is saying to this church when he's calling them to be holy is he's saying that be holy because God is holy. And so therefore, holiness, if you're taking notes, write this down, is to be like God. Holiness is to be like God. At, at its most simplicity, right? Like it's good conduct, it's morality, it's all those things. But, but it's not morality for the sake of morality. It's doing things because it images God in the world which we were created to do. I mean, the crazy thing is, is that God is amazing and loving and forgiving and that his spirit comes and lives inside of you and me and then we get to like display those things in this world. And so we carry the image of God to us at work and when we're parenting and when we're on vacation and when we go to the church and when we're driving in traffic and really frustrated, right? We carry the image of God with us. And so holiness is to be like God. It's doing things as God does. And what holiness does in the world, when we are obedient to his call in our life, when we're obedient to the way that he's called life to be lived, it brings God's good nature into the world. It brings humanity the utmost happiness, and it creates something beautiful in this world. I've often said this, but did you know that if everybody today decided, look, we're just going to, do sexuality God's way, and, and we're just going to be like him, do you know that nobody would ever gossip about you again for the rest of your life? Did you know that another woman would never be raped in the history of humanity if we just listened to this? Do you realize that a child would never be abandoned if we would just say, God, we want to be like you, because that's what holiness is? Do you realize that nobody would ever betray you that you wouldn't get caught in that sin of snare that the enemy sets for you to, to distract you? Do you realize you would never have another fight with your spouse? That'd be pretty cool. Your kids would always be obedient, mothers. See, holiness is to be like God. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're still in 1 Peter, turn to chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 with me. He begins to kind of walk out what this looks like. And so this is a people that's been transformed, and they've been made new, and they're, they're completely different. And, and he begins to kind of talk about what that looks like, the uniqueness of holiness in the world. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession— that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is such a relevant word for us today. He says, look, I know the culture you're in. I know the world. And I know it's different. And I know it kind of thinks differently than you do. But, but let that contrast be there, he says. You see, the message of the Bible is not like culture. Culture says fit in. The Bible says stand out. He says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He says you're holy, you're different, you're unique. Holy means to be set apart in a good way, right? God is holy because what God provides in the life of a human, we can get nowhere else. 
You know, what God provides, the security, the comfort, the, the peace that he provides, you can't go down the road and get that. You can't pull up to McDonald's and get what God offers. You can't even get it on Amazon. And nowadays you can get like everything on Amazon, right? I always talk about Amazon because I'm fascinated by it. You can't get what God gives anywhere else. No one else is going to perform miracles for you. No one else is going to comfort you. No one else is going to show you the, the, like the best way to be human. God is holy because he is good, but also because there's nobody else like God. His distinctiveness, his uniqueness, maybe even the word to use is, is his awkwardness compared to our nature. He's holy, and so we're supposed to be this way. We're supposed to be different. You know, what most people don't realize is like everybody likes music, right? But did you know that there's actually a clear-cut way to be really successful in music? I've even read books on this. People think, like, like if you ever wanted to be a pop star or a rock star, I'm going to tell you how to do it this morning, okay? I'm going to tell you, and so you can leave here and start a band or start a music career, and you can be really famous, and you can be the next Taylor Swift, okay? You want to be that? Maybe, okay, whatever. But you need two things. It's proven time and time again. You need two things. The first one's obvious. The second one you're probably not aware of, and it's why you're not a pop star, right? It's why, it's why, it's why we're all working normal Joe jobs. Number one, to be a very famous music person, you have to be really good at music. Duh, that's the obvious one, right? You've got to be talented. If you're a singer, you've got to sing real good like Lindsay. If you're going to play guitar or do musician stuff, you've got to be good at your instrument. If you're going to be an actor or something, you've got to have an intriguing personality, right? But here's the problem. There are tens of thousands of thousands of people in the world who are good at music. There's probably tens of thousands of people really, really gifted in music here in America. The reason why most people don't make it is because they don't have the second trait that you have to have to be a famous pop or rock or music star in this world. And I would apply this probably to, to anything in entertainment. You have to be good at what you do, but the second thing that you have to have, and they always say this, you have to be different. You have to be unique. When Elvis Presley came out, where are my Elvis fans at? I know we got a lot of them in here. My Elvis, yeah, I got a lot of Elvis fans, right? The world had never seen anything quite like Elvis. Elvis was different. There's a lot of people who sing good. There's a lot of people that sing catchy songs, but, but I guess they say he had the moves and he had the white jumpsuit, he had the hair, he had the personality. He was different. When the Beatles came out, the, the world had never seen anything like that. We're used to them now. We're used to that kind of music because they changed music. But when they came out, the Beatles were, were, were famous and they were popular and they were in demand because you couldn't find that anywhere else. And music all throughout the ages changes. A lot of people say, man, rap music, that sounds so different. And some people are like, man, is rap music even music? And that's the point. It's famous, it's desirable because it's unique. It's unlike anything you've ever heard. You see, things that are different attract our interest. And in the same way, we are called to be extremely different in the world. And as the Beatles would say, to let it be. We're called to be different and distinct and not, not arrogant, but unique. And, and the reason why I, I, I say this and the reason why I'm, I'm really bringing this point up is because I don't know if you've realized this, but like the world is changing 
a lot. I mean, isn't the world changing a lot? Some of you senior adults, man, you have seen such a massive shift in culture in your lifetime. I, I can't imagine what it's like. You see, Christianity is no longer the moral guide for America. It's no longer like the, 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 the thing that sets the tone for like everything else that we do. There was a day when it was like, okay, well, the Bible says this, so let's kind of be like this. And, and that's just not the case anymore. Tolerance and diversity are, are the talk of the day. Kind of go out, find your own life, find your own happiness, kind of do it your own way, experiment. Um, and then whatever the conclusion you come to, whatever you think makes you happy, do that. And then people shouldn't judge you because we should all just get to do whatever we want to do. And yet the, the problem that we see in that is that we believe the Bible has already revealed the path to happiness and human fulfillment. We live in a culture that will teach there's many different ways to God. You go through God through this religion, I go through this religion, I go through psychology, I kind of just have hopeful thoughts, and there's all these different ideas as to how we get to God and how we know God. There's all these multiple paths to God, and, and there are multiple paths, but I think what most people would agree with is that multiple paths usually lead to multiple destinations, right? Technology is changing everything in our world. The entire music industry has been upended. The entire consumer industry has been upended. We, we buy things on the internet now. We have the greatest access to human information the world has ever known. We are informed more than ever, or at least we think we are informed more than ever. The world is changing a lot. We're literally in the middle of a cultural storm. And I don't mean that in a good or bad way. It just is, right? The world's changing. And yet, as Christians, we're called to have this inner pursuit that is not affected by the outer storms. I mean, you do realize that come November, either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump will be president, right? And, and I don't know what you think about that. Some of you like him, some of you don't. I don't know where everyone's position is. But I think we can all agree that whether it's Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, we will have never seen something like that in the presidency, or at least in a long time. Things are changing. Things are different. And, and yet, what most people are going to tell you, and you might think this is where I'm going with this, most people will tell you, be fearful. Be afraid. The world's changing. The country's changing. Be afraid. Be upset. Be negative. Just go take your Bible and start beating everybody with it, right? Because they're stupid. Just go out there and tell them that they're worse than you and you know everything that they don't know. And just go out there and just tell everyone that America's going to hell in a handbasket, as they say. I've never understood that saying, by the way, but people say that constantly, right? They tell you to be afraid and to be fearful and to be frustrated. And I think that was probably the sentiment in 1 Peter too, because there was fear, you can tell. There was a fear. There was an uncertainty. And yet Peter had this message that said, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the application this morning. Jesus is our shelter through the storm. Jesus is our shelter through the cultural storm. Peter gives the answer to everything he's talking about. He tells them how to live their life and how to do this thing in First uh, Peter 1 verse 13. Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not set your hope on your confidence that you're going to fit in, right? 
Don't set your hope on your presidential candidate. It's good to be involved in politics. You should be involved in politics, but we shouldn't be like the I'm moving to Canada guy, right, if your guy doesn't get elected, right? Don't be I'm moving to Canada or Mexico guy. There's always that person every, every year. And they never move, which is crazy, right? So it's just like a saying. Here's the wonder this morning. You can pursue Christ to the fullness. You can have a holy, godly, amazing life of walking with your creator in a perfect love relationship with Jesus Christ, pursuing his amazing calling on your life, regardless of the storms that are happening around you. Don't buy into the fear. Don't buy into all of the negativity. Don't buy into this idea that that we can't be the church if our government changes. That you can't pursue God, that you can't be holy, that you can't grow in your walk with him if the storms around you are present. The day that you realize that nothing in this world, that no outer storm can disrupt your inner pursuit of God, your pursuit of holiness, unless you allow it, will be one of the best days of your life. I will never forget the day that I realized that I could, like somebody could be mad at me and I could still be happy. Did you know that? Did you know that someone can be mad at you and you can still be content within yourself? Do you know what's possible when someone's gossiping about you or saying stuff about you behind your back or trashing your name? Do you know what's possible to still pursue the life God's called you to live? Do you know that deep inside of us we have an inner sanctuary that no man can tinker with? Did you know it is possible to not let your life be controlled by the opinions of others? Did you know that it's actually possible to not let your success at your job control you? You see, it's like we come out of the womb and it's like, man, if my circumstances go well, then I'll be happy. And if my circumstances go bad, then I'll be frustrated. And yet what Peter tells the church in a turbulent, stormy time is to set your hope fully on the hope of Jesus Christ. We can participate in other things. We can be a part of things. But we anchor our hope solely in Jesus Christ. Christ. You know, it's crazy. Humanity has learned how to build this thing called shelter. And we take it for granted, right? Because as long as we've been around, they've had shelter, and we've got this place right here right now. But you do realize what shelter does, right? Shelter enables us to, regardless of what the elements are, which is always a, a wild card here in Houston, right? Whatever the elements are, we can continue what we're doing. And so um, back in the day, supposedly, before there was electricity and shelter and all this kind of stuff, at least like kind of as it is now, um, before there was electricity and lighting, like you would go to bed when it got dark. How crazy of a thought is that? And you would wake up, as they say, at the crack of dawn because you wanted to live and be around when you could see stuff. And then electricity happened, right? And we begin to create these kind of alternate realities inside separate of nature that like I can be on my computer, I can be working, hanging out with my family late at night when it's dark outside because I have this shelter and I have this lighting that enables me to not be controlled by the elements outside. I mean, you do realize that if we had every technological advancement that we have today, but not shelter, that would change a lot, right? 
So imagine we had everything. Like I had like my iPad here and all this sound system and everything, and we had church, and yet this building was not here. And we're meeting out here. And then imagine a big rainstorm kind of wipes through. Would that change things? Yes. Would that ruin your iPhone? Yes. Unless you have one of those waterproof cases, then it might not, right? And so that's the reality that like we've created shelter so that we can continue doing what we're doing regardless of the elements outside. We've created air conditioning. Praise the Lord, right? Meaning it can be Houston summer and we can still have a life and get stuff done. You see, we've created this ability to have shelter, which enables us to not be so controlled and manipulated by everything around us. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He says, Jesus is our shelter through the storm. In 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Are you seeing the wonder here that if we believe this, that God is with us, that he is involved in our life, and even in the difficult times, we can actually have happiness and joy in trial. But the problem is we don't believe this. We don't let the wonder of this enter into our lives. We believe a false narrative that says that if bad things happen, life is bad, and yet he is preparing this church to go through something and yet not let their inner pursuit of holiness be manipulated and controlled by the storm. In Psalm 46, verse 1 and 3, the psalmist says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not fear. In Psalm 61, the psalmist says, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever, and let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. You see, we can pursue a life of godliness and hope and peace regardless of what the culture is like, regardless of the shows on television, regardless about who gets elected to the presidency, regardless of what people say about us, regardless of how our job goes, regardless of how, you know, perfect our kids turn out, like regardless of all these things, like you actually have the ability to set your hope fully in the gospel, fully in Christ. Let Jesus be your shelter. In Christ, we're, we're protected from our own sin because he forgives us of our sin. We're protected from, from others because it doesn't matter what people say about us. It matters what God says about us. We're protected from circumstances because, as Peter said, even when it goes bad, guess what? God's going to do a great work in your life. Everyone else in the world can be a lustful person, and you can be pure. All your coworkers can be disloyal and can cheat your company, but you can be an upstanding man or woman of integrity that cares about your employer. We don't have to let the outer storms disrupt our inner pursuit of holiness because Jesus is our shelter. 
And I'll, I'll close with, uh, with this idea. That Jesus is the shelter for your heart, your mind, and your soul in this crazy world. I'm going to close with 1 Peter chapter 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And I think Peter really drives this point home. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, here's the main part. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. As your pastor, I just want you to know that you don't have to live a crazy, unstable, unhappy life. You don't have to live in fear as to like how the political landscape's going to shake out and, and what's going to happen tomorrow and is that disease going to come and is it going to get cured. You, you don't have to live that way because faith is a powerful thing and when we believe in Jesus, he becomes our shelter from come what may in this crazy and unstable world. And everybody around us is just being tossed to and fro by the circumstances. And, and they're up and they're down and they're up and they're down and they're up and they're down. And they don't know if tomorrow is going to be a good day or a bad day or if it's going to be an awful day. They have, they have no uncertainty. And yet what we find here is that Jesus Christ himself is our shelter from the storm. And he's the place where our heart, our mind, and our soul can rest in this life. You can find shelter from the storm. You can find a consistent life of an inner pursuit of God through abiding in the word of God and letting God's word stand supreme over every feeling, every emotion, every circumstance, every human opinion, and every cultural and political trend that happens in the world. You see, what Peter was saying to his church, he's like, look, I know the place you live is crazy. I know there's persecution. I, I, I know all this stuff is happening. I know you've got some ignorance. You're, you're working through your learning stuff. He's like, but, but listen, therefore be holy in that storm. Don't let the outer storms disrupt your inner pursuit. Trust God and have peace. Let's pray. Father, your word says that the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. God, we trust that this morning. God, thank you for your word that, that reminds us that we are not slaves to the way that we feel or to the outcomes that may or, or may not happen tomorrow. But that, God, we have a hope and a trust in you and a belief that overcomes every uncertainty and instability that we consistently face. God, if I pray there's anyone in this room this morning who has never placed their faith in you, God, they're, they're not trusting you. And therefore, they're afraid and they're fearful and they're uneasy. 
I pray that you would remind them that you are a refuge, a very present help in trouble. That God, they can pursue everything you've called them to pursue. They can grow in you and reflect your image regardless of what tomorrow brings. God, remind us that that you are in control. Remind us that you love us. Remind us that we're forgiven of all of our sin. God, help us by the power of your spirit to trust you and to let you fight off the storms on our behalf. We only need to trust you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.